Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. You know the drill by now. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 103 is Nick Petrositi of the Level Clear podcast. Welcome, Nick. Oh, well, hello. So welcome. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? As, as you can welcome me to my own show. That's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you've uh, you've blasted us awake there with some uh, with some ear bleeding. Metallic <laughs> sounds. I know, uh, right? <laughs> to start the day off, there we'll, we'll talk about uh, you and your show in a bit. But perhaps uh, as 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 it's still fresh in our minds, mm. uh, what what uh, made you pick Rules of Nature from Metal Gear Rising Revengeance? It's probably one of my get up and go tracks that I would play if ever I'm in a bit of a bad mood. That makes sense. <laughs> and I need to be on the move somewhere or doing something. It's it's oh, it's such a good track. Metal Gear Rising uh, as a game was just a complete turnaround from what Metal Gear Solid was. Metal Gear Solid is one of my favourite series. And right. just to see that transition from stealth action to all action, yeah. um, the, the song just embodies that completely, I feel. that The game is, is summed up by that one song. It's, and it's, and uh, I think when you're playing the first... Have you played much of Revengeance at all? 
No, I really haven't. We oh. uh, we covered the entire series on our other podcast, Kane and Rince, uh, mm. some years back now. Uh, and so the only one of that series I haven't played is the most recent one. But Revengeance, is it's on our long list of games to play, and that's probably when I'll play it. Yeah. Um, they gave it away on PlayStation Plus some time ago, so I have it on, on PS3 already in, installed and waiting to go. And I am a fan of Platinum Games action, mm. so uh, so it, it should be right up my alley. I've, I've only had the briefest of plays, though. But um, but you, you, you're coming in with a strong solid recommendation absolutely it's it's probably in my top 10 games of all time wow yeah i was asked recently what my top games were and i was i was struggling but that came into my head instantly i I love revenge and that once again rules of nature is it's it's but you can apply it to like most situations in gaming when you know the whole leroy jenkins when you're charging you know (laughs) charging in (laughs) and uh yeah you can just always imagine that in the back of your head so it's it's just a great piece. It's, so were you or uh, were you obviously you were already into Metal Gear, uh, but were you somebody mm. also? Were you already into the sort of you know the the action combat uh, the, uh, of of that sort of nature, Platinum Games type stuff like Bayonetta, or was was this an introduction because because Metal Gear kind of was your in? I'd say this was definitely an introduction to Platinum Games. For, right. for me, it was the first platinum title I've ever actually played, uh, and s- some people would scream at me for that. But you know, it's uh, no, it yeah. I, I kind of used to stick to like fighting games, really, and then every now and then I'd try an RPG or something. But yeah, and and the Metal Gear games, of course. But uh, no, this was my first sort of like what people like to call hyper action, yeah, fast paced. Like yeah, it's so it kind of took me by surprise, and I was sat there thinking, I don't know why I didn't do this sooner. To be honest, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, of course the the sort of the U- USP of Revengeance in particular was the use of the the right analog stick as a kind of a surrogate sword, I suppose. Um, I don't know if they did they ever dabble with using motion controls for this with with move or anything. I, I'm not sure, but in the end, uh, you know, the when they were demonstrating it early on, it was a lot about how many slices you could take out of things with, with, yeah. with your sword. The whole which makes it unusual. The whole cut and take um, that was the kanji that was displayed uh, when, right. when when Ryden would use his maneuver. Yeah, and that I believe translated to cut and take, uh, yeah. and the idea was to cut as, cut things into as many pieces as possible. And yeah. it was also a way of gaining health when you would fight the android enemies. So that was also quite handy. Um, but oh, it was you could do the cuts while sliding. You could do them while flipping upside down. And oh, the, 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 at the time, I feel that it was. I mean, people had seen that kind of action before, but mm. to this scale, it, it just felt grand. It felt very grand. I think. Mm. I'm very happy, although I'm a very much a multi-format gamer, as uh, as listeners will know. Um, mm. I'm very happy that Bayonetta and Vanquish have both recently arrived on on Steam as PC titles in in very good shape as well. Though Vanquish needed a couple of patches to sort a couple of things out, but they are they are really really nice versions. Um, and you know, sort of demonstrably, if you've got a decent PC, the the prettiest way to play uh, those platinum games up to this point. Um, so I recommend listeners, you know, they're they're sensible prices well about 15 quid so um if you've got a controller uh, hooked up to your pc and you've got a decent graphics card those are that's a good way to get on board with the platinum thing uh, i don't know about the 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 revengeance pc version i imagine it's 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 decent there is a uh, P- pc version and it's fairly cheap from what i understand 
probably is by now yeah mm. um and again like it it sounds it sounds awful but there is now that thing of, of sometimes you you fire up certain games from even just a few years ago this is a 2013 game on ps3 and 360 and it runs in it runs at 720p or whatever and it can actually start to look after you've gotten used to uh current gen graphics at 1080 or even 4k 720 stuff can start to look a bit fuzzy so if you've got the option of up resing it a bit on the pc that can be a nice way to to experience these things a few years down the line absolutely speaking of old graphics uh our next request comes from 20 years ago and uh the much loved series that went on and on and on and is possibly it's probably not still going in in any meaningful way but uh i might be wrong about that namco bandai's ace combat so this request comes from goodshot jansen over at canorince.com slash forum head to the sound of play thread and make your requests for the show uh goodshot jansen says if you grew up watching the 80s anime area 88 the game you wanted to play was not area 88 aka un squadron it was ace combat 2 the ace combat series may have lost its way but at its peak it was a fine source of arcade flight action fun ace combat 2 will forever be my favorite it lacked the whining and overcomplicated narratives of the later titles its campaign was pure in its simplicity mission and enemy variety was unparalleled for a console flight game and the graphics were stunning then there is the score ranging from electronic beats to a wailing guitar the latter of which made me feel like I was in an episode of Area 88, perfectly matched the environments and missions they accompany. My immediate pick for the podcast is Warning Line. This track plays during Operation Tin Castle, a midnight sortie in which you are tasked with clearing the skies of fighters while suppressing enemy air defence. It's a frantic mission that makes you feel like an absolute ace once the last anti-aircraft gun has been silenced.
That was Warning Line from Ace Combat 2. Typical of Namco games, there are a number of composers credited on the game. We don't know who did which track, but Kota Takahashi, Hiroshi Okubo, Tetsukazu Nakanishi, uh, Nobuhide Isayama, and Goshina, who we featured on this podcast many times before, mainly for his work on Mr. Driller, uh, which is a rather different sounding game. Uh, yeah, Namco, 20 years ago, Ace Combat. That was not a series that ever massively appealed to me. Um, I guess I was never... No, I, I definitely did play. I played quite a few flying games, fighter pilot on my Atari and things like Retaliator and uh, Interceptor on the Amiga. But um, the Ace Combat series never, for, for whatever reason, I could never bring myself to part with money. How about you, Nick? Um, I tried a few back in the day, but I'll be honest, they made me feel quite sick. <laughs> so uh, motion sickness stuff. Yeah, it's, oh, really? it's the same reason I struggle with VR, I think. Oh, um, no. Because um, it's funny you mentioned before about being there being a new Ace Combat. I believe there is a new Ace Combat coming out on VR, which, ah, which would crikey. be, yeah. No good for you at all whatsoever. <laughs> Definitely no. not. Keep me away from that. Um, but no, I didn't I didn't play too many of the Ace Combats, uh, unfortunately. But very, yeah. very good and very much loved games, I understand, so... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, so do you get motion sickness on other genres? I have a friend who's incredibly susceptible to the point that he even sometimes gets it with third person stuff, um, which like I know for obviously for, for it makes sense that first person stuff is, is more of a trigger. But but if the, if a game is particularly, you know, kind of uppy, downy, tilty, swervy, like Super Monkey Ball or something like that, he might get motion sickness, oh, which is okay. awful. I mean, like, I would be heartbroken if, if first-person shooters gave me motion sickness. Yeah, I think there's only one first-person shooter game has ever given me motion sickness, and I believe that was the latest Duke Nukem game. Oh, never mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, yeah, well, yeah. But that's um, okay. No, it's the, the VR thing is strange. I mean, there's, I think there's some disconnect between the human brain and. Uh, it, I, I was talking with a friend about it, and we worked out that when we use the move controllers, we seem to be okay. When we, Are you right? When yeah. we're using the pad, that's where mm. things go wrong because. It's something to do with your body seeing your hands in front of you moving and yes. not it not being in. Yeah, it's it's strange, but apparently ginger helps. So, yeah, chewing ginger apparently helps VR sickness. Huh. Is that apocryphal? Is that an old wives' tale, or is that I, actually is there any basis in reality? <laughs> that's probably an old wives' tale, but I'm going to try it regardless because there are some VR games I really want to try. So, it could be placebo effects. Uh, probably. Yeah, you're, you're so you're so concentrated on the fact that you've got raw ginger in your mouth mm. and you forget to feel sick or you just feel sick because of the raw ginger <laughs> yeah, uh, basically yeah <laughs> right nick we haven't really uh, introduced you yet uh, so nick you are from a podcast called the level clear podcast now it says here and i i can only assume that this is an admin error on your part it says uh, it says uh, britain's best uh, video game podcast <laughs> don't, um, don't, so, so, it's definitely not in the top three i mean could, top two could it could be a bold claim but uh <laughs> No, fair <laughs> enough. Why not? Because it's 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 un, you know it's it's a, it's a subjective uh, qualitative statement. It is. So if uh, if that's if that's how you feel, then uh, more power to your elbow. But um, yeah, so it's been going for a few years now. Uh, yeah, we've been going for the, almost three years now. Um, we're up to episode one hundred and thirty odd. I lose track now. We've done that many. Well, um, that's it, good because uh, most podcasts die within the first you know 
yeah, twenty or something. So, so we were told. I mean, it, we we were quite regular when we first started out. We're, I wouldn't say we're less regular now, but we sort of take a break every every couple of weeks, just because there's there's a lot of admin and a lot of work to be done, sort of oh, beh- yeah. behind the scenes. Um, but no, I mean, we're just a. Uh, we started off just doing video games. We sort of branched out a little bit to talk about you know film and uh, other things in geek culture. Yeah. But um, no, we try we try and sort of stick to a form a formula that people can enjoy um, and try and make it as casual as possible and not so much like a like a newscast <laughs> of what the best sort of you know games are out this week because people get bored of that. Mm. Yeah, so it's obviously we you know we go for a very different kind of thing and uh, a very specific format and it is difficult. Obviously, you, you know you've been going a few years now. Um, but one of the reasons we didn't go down the route with Kane and Rince of doing the sort of the the established uh, podcast format was just out of you know wanting to keep ourselves interested. Really, it's mm. nothing. It's absolutely nothing against the traditional, um, you know, sitting sitting around and talking about what you've been playing and and all that sort of thing. Format. It was just wanting to uh, for our own our own amusement to do something else. So you feel you've found uh, you've established your own kind of voice and n- niche in the in the the podcasting sphere of which you know is such a huge a huge thing it's 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 very heavily cluttered but i'd like to think that we are a little bit different to everybody else enough Mm -hmm. that people would want to listen and we so we we always try and maintain that we want to sort of be just three guys just having a chat not sort of you know anything more than that really and i think (laughs) in in doing so the fact that you know that we know each other so well and uh, we bounce back and forth from each other that people can really get down with that so cool so who who are the guys for for listeners who uh, listeners to us who aren't familiar with Level Clear? Okay, so there's myself, obviously Nick Petrositi. Uh, obviously, there's Tim Houghton, and uh, he will, the other member will only be known as Salty because <laughs> he doesn't like to use his real name. Ah, um, but yeah, mysterious, yeah, he's enigmatic. A, he's a mysterious. Um, we we call him Giant Rock Fellow, um, sort of mixed with Hagrid from Harry Potter, but he wouldn't want to hear oh, that. Right. Yeah, so. <laughs> Bit giant bearded man, we call him as well. Yeah, every podcast has to have one. Um, <laughs> but actually, I'm I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at your profile picture on Twitter here. I you you could be like an MMA fighter or something. You look you look mean, man. You, I mean, you're, I'm also seeing you in the in the video window, and you look you look far friendlier. But you know, on Twitter, I'm thinking I'm not messing with this guy. Oh, I'm I'm soft, really. It's, it, <laughs> I, I really am. It's just a it's, a, it's a wall I put up to stop people from, you know, trying to troll me, maybe, I guess. I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> Internet yeah. trolls, they can be a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I've been I've been fairly lucky in that regard. I uh, haven't had too many issues. You, you, you had any, you had some bad experiences? Uh, nothing major. I mean, we, we have a mail section where people can send things in and, we, you know, it's probably one in a hundred things you receive. It's nothing. Yeah. Nothing crazy. And they just end up getting binned off anyway, so... Just don't pay. That's good to hear. Don't pay. <laughs> no, never pay attention to it. Don't rise to it. That's the uh, important Absolutely. thing. Yeah, very much so. Uh, can't <laughs> please everyone all of the time and no, all that. No, you can't. Right. Your next musical pick for us, so we can get more of a sense of uh, your taste and uh, in games and music, is uh, it's from a soundtrack we featured, as you would expect, a number of times, and a composer who we, we have a great deal of time for. It's Akira Yamoka and... Uh, probably some of his most famous work, Silent Hill 2. But uh, it's a track we've not featured before, so that's cool. Overdose Delusion, what is it about this one that uh, tickles you? Uh, this song has a feeling of... Just a feeling of ending. I mean, it's played during the uh, the best ending of Silent Hill 2, during the credits. And 
uh, that coupled with the you know the emotional experience of the game and that feeling of of you know it's done it just it i don't know it really stuck with me it's got a nice it's it's different to the rest of the soundtrack i mean i've listened mm. to the silent hill soon uh, silent hill 2 soundtrack a lot yeah. and yeah this is just one of the mo- the standout pieces on the on the on the album for me it's it's yeah just sounds great it's arranged beautifully um yeah and it it just links back to a lot of good memories i say i say good memories you're playing silent hill too but um <laughs> yeah, it's such a laugh yeah it's such a laugh yeah. but no it it, it it comes straight after that emotional hit yeah for, um that you receive right at the end it's where, it's where the, you know the punch gets you and then it's like it's not that perfect movie ending style you know it's, it's hard to explain but I'm sure everyone who's uh, engaged with with this game and this series uh, will understand exactly, especially when they hear it again. So let's do that. Overdose Delusion.
So that's from, of course, Silent Hill 2 from 2001, Can You Believe It? And uh, we covered that on our other podcast, Kane and Rince, where we discuss games. So we covered the entire Silent Hill series up to now, which probably means that's all of it forever. <laughs> uh, Kane and Rince 155 was the one where we covered Silent Hill 2, but you can find subsequent shows uh, around and after. And recently I was lucky enough to uh, interview Tom Hewlett, who had a lot to do with... Uh, homecoming and uh, also the hd collection and if you want to hear what went wrong with the silent hill hd collection listen to that interview with me and tom hewlett because he's uh, incredibly honest about the things that happened at konami before he left <laughs> oh okay <laughs> uh yes and it was very interesting uh, from my point of view uh, one of the things about starting Kane and Rince, doing Kane and Rince was uh, really the opportunity and focus around clearing all these amazing games that you know, I consider to be part of my backlog and uh, that I wanted to experience uh, for, for good or for ill. And so I played every Silent Hill game. Sadly, the only one I missed out on due to a uh, a scratch disc. Kindly, uh, our car lent me Silent Hill for the room, uh, but it simply wouldn't load. And I ran out of time to uh, source another copy before the show. So I have played every Silent Hill um, except Book of Memories and Silent Hill for the room. Um, so one day... I'll go back to that, but I did listen to the show, um, and it sounds like it's got its uh, its interesting aspects, but also some quite severe quirks and foibles. Uh, it was uh, to the one that you consider, you know, the definitive Silent Hill, as so many others do, or do you have a soft spot for one of the other sort of curious games in the in the series? No, two, two for me is uh, once again, it's hard to you know. I don't want to go to, into too much detail, but you always link games you play to a time in your life. Absolutely. And, you know, Silent Hill 2, whenever I play it, it takes me back to, you know, when I was a young man and I was <laughs> going through certain things. And, yeah, yeah but it, it's after – I mean, I must have played Silent Hill 2 now whew, what, almost 10 times, I think, through. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I Once again, it, this is definitely in my top five games of all time. Silent Hill 2, yeah, yeah it's uh, – it's, it's got a strong story. I think it's not given enough credit sometimes. Um, really? Oh. Yeah, because I, I, people always like to give props to three over two. Um, hmm. And three's, okay. three, three's good, don't get me yeah. wrong, but sure. two for me feels stronger. It's got, and I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good old-fashioned sob story, I guess. <laughs> and <laughs> I think, yeah, maybe some people who are in love with the mythos love 3 because it returns to the, the, the real mythos of Silent Hill 1, whereas Silent Hill 2 is is very much a kind of standalone story, isn't it? Yeah, it's there, but it's it's all about um, the, the tragic tale uh, yeah. of... Uh, of a man and spoiler alert, <laughs> the, the 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 deed that he does uh, that you discover at the end of the game, which is of course you know horrific, but it's and it's beautifully. Um, I can't remember the actress's name. The, she 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 mm. narrates that letter at the end, mm. which every time I listen to that, it just has me in absolute tears. Yeah, and then you go straight to the dog ending. And, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we've never played that on here, actually, I don't think. But um, it's about high time we did. Yeah. All right, next up, we have another request from the Cana Rinse Forum from our friend Tadinho, and very simply says, I recently watched a full playthrough of Corpse Party and the soundtrack really jumped out at me. I think it's an OST worth looking into. Well, let's just do that. This is Chapter 2, Main BGM by Mao Hamamoto from Corpse Party, Blood Covered. Thank you. 
enjoyable, but I'm none the wiser, really, about Corpse Party. Yeah, I've not played Corpse Party myself, to be honest. Uh, or, <laughs> I'll be honest, heard of it before this podcast. Well, there you go. Um, uh, 3DS title was not really my strong forte, apart from Pokemon, so there you go. Uh, have you downloaded your latest free Pokemon? I haven't. From, from the gift service. I did that earlier today. Uh, I, I have this thing where I, I rack up Pokemon games and get the free gifts and then fail to get around to playing them. But uh, <laughs> And, you know, I have that whole, you know, I'm 45 thing and I'm playing Pokemon thing. But then I think, who cares? It's, it's cool. You're never <laughs> never too old to play Pokemon. I don't care what Absolutely. anybody says. I know. They're proper, proper RPGs. Yeah. And uh, I'm actually looking forward to uh, uh, Gold and Silver coming out on... Um, 3DS later this year, September, I think it is, um, after they released Yellow and uh, and the early, the first couple, the first three, I suppose, the first gen, and uh, and they're adding the uh, the second gen soon. And uh, I remember being quite taken with the idea of those at the time because they were the ones that introduced the the real world clock stuff. So, are you the kind of guy? And we're not even playing a Pokemon track here now. We're just talking Pokemon. Um, are you the kind of guy? Now, we we have a uh, we have a friend on the internet, uh, Gareth Strident, who has all the Pokemon. He's done it. He's got them all wow. there. He's he's brought them through from first gen he's got a he, he sent me a list of or a list a, a, a litany of screenshots showing his almost complete if not completely complete collection of pokemon which is now hundreds and hundreds deep uh have you managed to have you committed to that sort of level of pokemon or is it is more of a casual concern uh i tried um i bought pokemon x that's that's the last pokemon yes. game i played uh, was pokemon ah. x and I bought a 3DS off a friend. I was de- I was desperate at the time because I hadn't played Pokemon in a number of years. And I was like, I really want to get back into it. And I found that through the trade system on there, there was a chance that you could actually collect all the old Pokemon. So I set out to try and do that. There was this, the, the trade system had this sort of, people were just giving away random Pokemon. So it was, it was luck sometimes what you got. Um, but through a method so it sounds like I'm, I, I sit there wondering on how I can cheat Pokemon. That's not the case. Yeah. Um, but there was a method for sort Whatever. of speeding up and copying Pokemon and, and hatching eggs and stuff. And I, I spent a oh, lot of okay. time doing that. I think I got yeah. to about four or 500 and then one day I just stopped. Yeah. That's not bad though. Yeah. Um, if only there was a sort of way to, I mean, there probably is, if there was a way to monetize it. Uh, so, somehow, I don't know. The, uh, Nintendo have probably swerved that somehow. One one day, I'm sure they'll find a way of doing it. I hope not, because I'd like to think it would remain pure forever. But Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon coming to Switch soon, uh, which I know, I know, no doubt add to my enormous Pokemon backlog. I haven't got a Switch yet. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I got mine just a, a couple of weeks ago. It was a a, a very wonderful birthday present from my partner. She uh, ah. she tried to surprise me, but then they were out of stock everywhere, so we ended up having to, you know, get one after the fact. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I think it's a really lovely machine. Yeah, I've very quickly embraced the the world of Switch, and uh, I particularly like it as somebody who plays a lot of uh, vintage veteran stuff. I'm particularly enjoying the fact that the the excellent hamster are. Uh, 
sort of bulking out the Switch's library with all these wonderful Neo Geo ports. And it's absolutely tremendous for me to be able to play some of these classic uh, Neo Geo shooters and fighters on that little portable screen wherever I am. So it's kind of like having an amazing, super-powered 90s arcade in my pocket, uh, <laughs> as well as as well as well a game that plays, obviously, you know, games like Breath of the Wild and uh, Mario Kart and, uh, and Splatoon 2, which I've just pre-ordered. So, yeah... Um, um, I was definitely. Uh, I mean, I was. Uh, I knew. I knew I'd have one as soon as it was announced because I have every Nintendo console eventually. But uh, um, my my intention was to leave it until Mario Odyssey came out because that would obviously for me be an absolutely must buy day one no brainer. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the Mario games. Um, and there would be no other way to play that, unlike Breath of the Wild, which I have on Wii U. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I was probably going to wait until October, but then my girlfriend uh, treated me. So, yeah. Oh. Thanks, Tanya. I need to speak to my wife about this. Get, get to buy me one. <laughs> Always worth a try. Uh, yeah. If you've got a significant birthday, I think, uh, I think because it, it was my 45th, you know, it's kind of slightly, a, it's, you know, it's kind of halfway between two big birthdays, so it's kind of a big birthday. So if you can, if you can arrange that, I'm thirty five. <laughs> I'm thirty five this year, so that's well, uh, there you go. That works. That'll, that'll work perfectly. <laughs> now you just need uh, to persuade uh, the good lady to part with three hundred and fifty quid for a console and a game. But uh, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, cheers. <laughs> In the meantime, perhaps you could uh, new game plus Bloodborne again if you haven't already, or twice. Or twice. Mm. So yes, Bloodborne, <laughs> uh, another popular pick. Popular game. Uh, we covered it on Kane and Rince issue 250. That show went down very well. We had our friend Gary Dutton on from, uh, from the world of uh, other things, including Midnight Resistance. Uh, and uh, yeah, this track is, is a stunner. Um, unfortunately, when I was playing it, I guess I was just too busy panicking to take in the music because it's uh, the final boss of Bloodborne yeah. and, and you're expecting it to be difficult. So uh, It's very frantic. Yeah, I've heard it outside of 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 the game, and uh, and yeah, I enjoy it. Um, but were you were you in a, a good enough state, a strong enough state of mind to appreciate it the first time? I completely role play Souls games. Cool. To the the point where I will actually go away and I will write a history for my character. Oh, nice. I I, I do this commitment. Yeah, um, I, and I had this sort of. This is why I played through Bloodborne twice. The first time I did it completely solo, um, and the second time I did it with someone, and that was just part of the character's story arc. Um, yeah. But I, I was in a I was in a very good mental place when I played this final boss. Mm. So I, I walked into the arena and I just felt this zen like calm. Oh, beautiful! And I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no. I can't even remember it. I've, I've blanked it out. I, I thought I co-opted it. Yeah. yeah, there's. Um, I, I I love. It's not done very often, but I love scenes uh, where action is placed against uh, mm. soft music or classical music. Yeah, and this just feels beautiful when you're playing it and that it's playing in the background and you're you're dodging each of german's strikes to you know <laughs> to try try not to become the next victim you know it, it's 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 so wonderful and i wish more games did this mm. um but I, i'm also glad they don't because it makes this one feel kind of special 
mm. because mm. of it. And I remember the, the I remember the the beauty of the area more than I remember the music. But uh, I guess partly because once you once you start fighting, uh, you're doing a lot of dash roll heel dash roll heel, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the sound effects of that can sort of start to overwhelm. Um, and your audio cues for uh, for hearing his. I guess I you know I can't remember them specifically, but uh, traditionally in these fights you're listening out for certain key sounds to know when you want to you know back off or or sidestep or or whatever. So um, I yeah I guess I guess what I'm getting at is that as much as I think these soundtracks are fantastic and this piece of music is fantastic, sometimes hearing them again in isolation it, it takes that to really appreciate them, and then maybe when you go back to the game and play them again, you've got more of a sense of what the music's like so you're not trying to take everything in at the same time yeah i I think you have to play these a few times just to appreciate it really um yeah it's a lot a lot of work goes in i say with the especially bloodborne i mean that's one of those games where there there is so much hidden in the architecture in in the in item descriptions in in the soundtrack in in voice lines You, you have to go back and play it sometimes two or three times just to get the full story Absolutely. Well, let's hear it again. Bring back some memories for those of uh, those of you who who do remember fighting Gammon. Uh, this <laughs> is Atsuka Saito from Bloodborne.
Wonderful stuff. As I say, Cane and Rinse 250 is the podcast to go to. We do indeed talk about the uh, the history of the architecture and stuff, thanks to our hist- historical history correspondent, uh, <laughs> Kat, who is uh, Josh's uh, partner, lady partner historian, who uh, was talking to us about... It, it, well, she uh, primed Josh with uh, tales of how the, uh, the architecture in that game is so beautifully and thoughtfully designed where there are different eras of um, brickwork laid upon other eras, so you can actually see the sort of the age of the, the city and the town that you're in and it's uh, it's all put together so very uh, thoughtfully as you say Nick and then yes there's all that extra lore buried in the in the item descriptions which are uh, which are uh, th- although they weren't in the first version they patched in when they improved the loading times they mm. also added the uh, the item descriptions to the uh, to the loading screens which pop up at random so uh, that's good stuff I also bought the book because I saw it for for uh, the, the hardbound Bloodborne books I saw it for a tenner and I thought that's a nice thing to have on my shelf. Is that the um, the official guide? Is I it? think it is. Yeah, yeah. I think I've I've got one on my shelf. I'm, I you know I, I want actually the the artworks because that's quite good as well. That's only just come out though. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, yeah. This was I saw this. I, I saw it. I saw it in game. You know, in Brighton for a, mm. for ten pound, and then I, I I was looking at it. I, I looked at it on Amazon while I was in the shop and it was on there, it was like 40, 50 quid or something. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a copy of that uh, for a tenner. <laughs> Lovely book. Lovely book. Yeah, yeah. Next up, we have uh, something even more recent from the forum requested by Third Man. This is from Virginia. When I re-listened to this for the first time, I was surprised to realise that there's no lyrics. Then again, my memory of Virginia is also full of words and conversations, despite there being no dialogue whatsoever. I wasn't completely sold on the game, and yet so much of it has stayed with me, albeit in misremembered form. This is a very poignant piece of music that, for me, acts as a distillation of everything the game itself has to offer. So this is by Lyndon Holland, and it's uh, called Roadhouse, or Sojourner's Truth.
or Sojourner. Sojourner, Sojourner. I was going to ask you, actually. That's from Virginia, by the way, listeners. 2016. Uh, Petra Siti. Uh, that's a cool name. Is it Italian or...? Uh, Greek Cypriot. Greek Cypriot. Mm. Okay. Do you know what it means? The rock on which you sit. That's cool. <laughs> I knew I knew it'd be cool. I, I'm always really interested in the etymology of names. And, uh, you know, something with four syllables is... Because uh, I have only three syllables in my entire name. Like, there's nothing else to it. Um, so, four syllables in a surname. I'm always thinking there's got to be something there. <laughs> but I also want to say it like... Petra City, and then it sounds like a level from Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, well, I, I get called I get called Petrol City, uh, <laughs> Pastrami. You'll be surprised, but <laughs> of course, oh, yeah, Pastrami. Yeah, <laughs> I don't oh. mind. I find it funny. So, next up, we have uh, an even more recent game. We're working our way forward year by year until our next track, when we go way back in time, because we have to have something from uh, from every era if I can manage it on Sound of Play. But this one's from this year. Uh, from Team Ninja and Koei Tecmo, uh, Neo. So some people have this down as a Souls-like game. And having played the first, I think, three hours, I certainly felt that it was a Souls-like game set in kind of feudal Japan type things. But then I am told that it sort of metamorphoses through, through playing into more of the kind of game you'd expect from Team Ninja. So it starts off more Souls-like and ends up more Ninja Gaiden-like. Is that... Is that fair? It, that's extremely accurate. Um, in fact, I started def- I started defending it to because people were saying, "Oh, it's just a Souls clone. It's just mm. a Souls." Clone. I was like, "Yeah." Initially, you know what? The game definitely does feel like that. But the more you get into it, the more you feel um, like uh, I can't remember the character's name now. The guy from the, the main player from from Ninja Gaiden, you can Ryu Hayabusa. That's the one. God, come on, my memory went then. Uh, but yeah, even to the fact you can wield a Kurugasama and mm. other sort of you know dual wield swords and stuff like that, and it, it it definitely feels like that that Team Ninja style Ninja Ninja Gaiden affair. Um, mm. And yeah, it, the game's fantastic. It's it rewards you for. Um, you know, it, like Souls games, it rewards you for you know extended play, powering up characters, uh, yeah. over leveling that kind of thing. Yes, Le- learning boss strategies and and the best way to beat them. And it's you know later on you can obviously cheat some of the things because I think this is where it kind of thank goodness <laughs> it, yeah it kind of bleeds in. But every time someone discovers something, they seem to patch it out. So. <laughs> Ah, yeah. yeah, it's had quite a few updates. I noticed that because I've had it installed uh, pretty much since it came out. And uh, it's one of those games where you know you, you see that there's been an update, have a look at the update notes. And it's it's like, yeah, they, they've, they've fixed some things that people were probably enjoying being broken to some extent. But, yeah. but you know, fair enough. I mean, they don't want to make the game too easy. And I, I can I can see well, why, because yeah. you, you only need to sort of, browse on youtube a few of the the build videos that people put up and they're they're, they're one-shotting bosses like walking into arena wow. one touch and the boss is dead and mm. you're like well i don't know if the game was meant to be that easy but if if people are clever enough to use you know combinations of weapons and spells and stuff then so be it that's you know yeah it's always it's a fine it's a fine line to strike, isn't it? Uh, mm. You want you want players to be able to kind of solve the problems of the game and also have the the power fantasy if they want it. But equally, you don't want people to just yeah just roll it over. Uh, especially not you know my my experience with the first few hours of this is that it was uh, souls like in its challenge in that it would be very easy to walk into a new area that you weren't familiar with or trigger some new enemy that you were. Uh, 
you weren't ready for and get killed quite quickly and and more to the point and this is as i say it's based only on the first few hours uh getting chased by groups of regular enemies you know to to the point that you're just getting overwhelmed which reminded me very much of bloodborne in that sense that mm. uh even the the kind of the the, the lower ranking uh, mobs can especially when teamed up can be a handful it's definitely very easy to get overwhelmed early game uh it, the, the, there seems to be a, it's it seems to be hills when it comes to the difficulty spike of the game it will start it yes. starts off very hard and then mid game you, you you know you found a decent setup you've got good weapons and everything seems to be easier and then towards the end of the game it picks up again. the 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 level jump is actually quite ridiculous to the point where I I almost gave up on it when I was playing. Um, and then really? I, I I persevered after fight Good stuff. <laughs> and once you get to new game, it's not really it's not called new game plus. It's called Way of the Strong, um, mm. which lets you flick back and forth between your old game and new game plus. Oh, okay. which that's is, interesting. Yeah. So the, and the the newer stuff is hundreds of levels above what you are. So there comes a difficulty spike again. Um, right, but it, it, there's lots of replayability there. That's the one thing you can say, and it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're just treading on old ground because mm. they've added a lot. They add a lot of new stuff in uh, and new abilities. You know, so new abilities after you've completed the game is is quite a revelation. It sounds good. like you've really uh, you've thoroughly explored and, and defeated Neo. You know what? I, I I finished it the once, and I looked at. I looked at my completion percentage and I thought, oh, you know what? I've not even scratched the surface. <laughs> right. I need to play other games. <laughs> that's, right. that's where I got to with it. Um, but I, I had a good understanding of, of the game when I was finished with it. I knew yeah. I knew what was what, you know, what spells did gave me the, the, the best kind of advantage against enemies. I mean, everyone knows that Sloth Talisman, if, you, if I say everyone, people that play Neo will know that Sloth, yeah. Sloth Talisman is the is the main thing that you need because it slows, yeah, slows enemies down by a third, I think. I like the sound of that. Yeah, it's quite good. It's quite good. That sounds good. Well, uh, we'll be sure to uh, give you a call if and when we ever get round to covering Neo on, on the main podcast. And Absolutely. You can go back to it and, and thoroughly ace it. Didn't, did they release a chunk of DLC for it? Am I imagining that? Or uh, is there something coming? There was one piece of DLC has already been released. I think it's called Dragon of the North, if mm-hmm. my memory serves me correctly. And there is another one. It's either out already or it's coming out. They gave a title to it, but for the life of me, I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, two pieces of DLC. Um, lots of extra uh, levels and, and bosses to challenge people. Gubbins. Yeah. And we haven't actually heard the tune yet, so that you, you, uh, you're you just a big fan of the, the opening theme. Oh, yeah. It just, it's, it's once again, it's one of those get up and go themes. It's, it's, it starts off obviously quite soft. Mm. And then it really kicks in and you feel like you're in an epic movie. Um, yes. it's, it's just it's just brilliant. And when, when you watch the opening cinematic as well, it's, it's, it's something. It's definitely something.
So that's Hugo Cano's opening theme from Team Ninja's Neo from this year. Still uh, PlayStation 4 only. Don't know if it's likely to arrive elsewhere. Um, PC maybe, if nothing else. Yeah, not, as, not, nice. not as far as I'm aware of, but it would be nice on the PC if they can get around to that. That'd be great. Mm, mm. Now, uh, we journey back in time because I always like, if we can, to have something <laughs> representing most of the decades on uh, on Sound of Play when we, uh, when we try to do an eclectic mix on a regular show such as this one. So I delved into our bag of requests and out came, of course, Glenn Watts, our friend Mr. Flavio from the forum, who says, title screen theme from the Commodore 64 version of Treasure Island Dizzy composed by Matt Gray. Infuriatingly hard game, but a catchy theme tune. So here it is, Treasure Island Dizzy. Nineteen eighty-eight, twenty-nine years old now. Uh, I didn't know they were really tough dizzy games. I, I was never kind of a, a dizzy player um, because they didn't port the dizzy game. Sadly, despite them being incredibly popular and successful, they didn't come to my computer, which was my my Atari eight bit. And then some of them did arrive on the Amiga and the sixteen bit consoles, um, but by then. I didn't. I wasn't invested in in the egg. Uh, my girlfriend, who is now thirty five, um, remembers Dizzy from her green screen Amstrad CPC from her childhood, <laughs> and she still refers to him as Dizzy Egg, uh, which is not his name any more than Alex Kid is called Alex the Kid, mm. uh, which you know is something that still bugs me, as you can tell. <laughs> uh, any any Dizzy in your dim and distant past, Nick? Yeah, I, I had a lot of the Dizzy games on cool. an, on an Amstrad, funnily enough. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> yeah, and Tre- Treasure Island Dizzy is one of the ones I remember quite fondly. It was, um, you know, it's, it's it, people don't. I don't think people appreciate how easy they have it nowadays in terms of difficulty on games. The yeah. di- the Dizzy games are some of the most 
hard were some of the hardest games in existence i think um but then again i, I i've watched people now they they speed run them in in under an hour and it's like well i couldn't have done that it felt hard back then i guess but that's because i was a child and i remember having to you know on the back of a magazine there was a number you could ring for tips and it oh was, yeah <laughs> it was like 50p a minute and you know I remember. yes entering pokes and all that as well uh, did, could you do that on the amstrad obviously you could on the c64 and spectrum was there a way of uh, typing listings into a into an amstrad and and getting infinite lives and all that sort of thing if there was, I didn't know about it. Unfortunately, no, no. Above, above, went right over you. Above, yeah, above young Nick, it was, yeah. Above your pay grade, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes, no, it is, it is interesting. It's something that, that comes up a lot, the the sort of level of challenging games and how, how that challenge is um, presented and, and what tools the player's given to get past it. Obviously, we've just been talking about a game like Neo, which on the face of it is extremely... Uh, tough and it's very quick and easy to die in the mold of of modern Souls-like games which have their roots and basis in classic RPGs, roguelike games and things like that but actually there are there are workarounds in almost every situation whereas uh, vintage classic games that were just really challenging were just really challenging and there often there was no there was no get out other than uh, nefarious means of yeah cheats or or yeah. codes or or action replay cartridges or whatever which is which is obviously a completely different thing and often uh we recently covered r type on the uh, on the main podcast and you know r type 2 is still one of the toughest uh games that i've ever played and the only way i've been able to play it through is because when they re-released it on the Xbox Live Arcade in 2009, the developers saw fit to add an infinite mode, which basically means that you can just keep respawning when you die. Uh, and so the challenge oh, wow. comes about uh, comes about how many lives you use or don't. I've um, never finished an R-Type game, ever, huh. never. I can't do it. They're too hard. <laughs> they are very ch- yeah and but then again uh, as we mentioned on the podcast there's a guy uh, who's doing some youtube stuff at the moment uh, by going by the, the the sort of brand of one credit classics and uh, fair play to him he's just done he just put up a a super contra no death run which again cool. completely beyond me and one of the games he did recently was a one credit complete of our type so uh, and i'm i'm pretty sure he's I, I i don't know but i i guess he's about your age he's certainly uh, he's certainly younger than me um and and i think it is you know it is i mean everyone does have their skill ceiling right there is there is a, a point beyond which you can't necessarily play because you just don't have the hand eye coordination or, or whatever but i think we each have the probably the capacity to with an enormous amount of dedication uh get beyond where maybe we think we can get to you know with the right motivation absolutely it, it just takes time yeah time and and patience commitment yeah well that's it and there's so much pulling at us that you know you obviously speed running is a huge uh is a huge scene now and it's an interesting i find it fascinating it's not necessarily something i would want to do but what i guess i find most fascinating about it is this this incredible dedication to playing one game over and over and over again and and it's very rare that a game will I will like a game enough to do that. And now there are some examples and I've been absolutely hammering Next Machina recently, <laughs> the latest from Housemark, and I will just play that over and over again because mm. I enjoy it so much and I'm doing all right on the leaderboards, you know, I'm in the top 100 on some of the difficulty settings oh, and nice. stuff like that. Um and I was in the top 2 at one point, but uh, <laughs> but that those days have gone because the game's been <laughs> the game's done quite well. Yeah. Um but 
yeah, I feel like if I'm enjoying something enough, I can keep playing it to the extent that I can get good at it. And even though I'm, you know, mid, well, well into middle age now, my my coordination and, and uh, reflexes aren't so bad that it's it's beyond me. And uh, a podcast, uh, another game we're, we're covering is Joust and the guy who's the multiple world record holder at Joust, which is a 35 year old game yeah. and one that is incredibly challenging. Uh, the multiple world record holder is in his 50s. Um, <sighs> And he's been playing it, you know, on and off in in extended, uh, com- committed bursts since, you know, since the early 80s. Uh, but he's still, you know, no one can get near him, maybe because nobody wants to, maybe no, nobody else will commit to playing it that much. But actually you watch him play and he's he's just honed his, his hand-eye coordination, his reflexes and his knowledge of the systems of that game to such a point that it's uh, yeah, it's mind-boggling. The, the, th- the things people discover are absolutely crazy. I mean, I was recently watching a Bloodborne uh, speedrun, funnily enough, right. so half an hour. <laughs> yeah. From start to finish, someone completed the game in half an hour and... Are they warping and glitching through the game, kind yeah. of finding exploits? And- yeah, they were skipping like massive sections um, by sort yeah. of warping through like, areas. And I was like, Oof. I don't know how people find the time to discover these things. It's, no, it's crazy. Well, it, once somebody discovers these things, it it becomes you know in the public domain, and then it, it's sort of fascinating itself. I know some people uh, sort of don't see the the merit to the these kind of glitched um playthroughs and that's completely fine but i find it sort of a fascinating science in itself and it's interesting you know we we talk a lot about how most uh games don't come out finished these days and and that they get patched you know umpteen times and like the get the if you buy a disc these days you're not getting the finished game at all no um you, you know physical media proponents kind of have their head in the sand about this the fact that they're like if you if you don't have an internet connection uh you know not that any gamer doesn't really anymore but um but talking about playing those games in the future preserving the physical media you you kind of you're only you're only preserving a kind of an a beta version of yeah. best a lot of the time um but it's interesting that actually you look at the speed runs people do of of these classic hugely loved games like Ocarina of Time and Super Mario 64 and things like that. And those games are broken as hell if you know how to break them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is obviously slightly different to having them just break down around you as you're trying to play them. But no. yeah, I still find it very interesting. Absolutely. Listeners, remember, please venture over to our forum, canorince.com slash forum for such conversations as the one we, ones we've been having and also talk about the latest games and uh, happenings in the industry. Follow us on Twitter at canorince and, and also if you want to request tunes for this podcast, hashtag sound of play. You can also do it on the Facebook page. We have one of those. And uh, yeah, keep requesting your favourites, other curios and oddities from the history of video games music and we'll continue to include a selection in the playlist for each regular sound of play. Please subscribe if you don't already and leave us an itunes review or rating we haven't had many of those recently and uh, sound of play is still lagging way behind cane and rinse in terms of reviews and ratings and uh, it really helps us uh, climb up the charts and get more visibility for the show and more listeners we also have a patreon patreon.com slash cane and rinse if you enjoy the podcast that we make and you think that they're worth a dollar a month which is currently around 77 or 78 pence uh, for the hours of entertainment that we provide uh, please head over there and do that and we'll be incredibly grateful it helps us to keep on doing what we do with the same level of commitment and focus now before we hear about your final track i'd like to thank our guest nick for joining us and uh 
what uh, would you like to point our listeners towards uh, your podcast, your Twitter, and whatever else? Um, well, if you're interested in hearing my musings on Twitter, uh, you can do so at, at Don Pedro X. Uh, you can follow the official level clear one at level underscore clear. And if you want to listen to the podcast, um, go to level hyphen clear.com forward slash podcasts. And yeah, we're on there. We, yeah, every week we talk about video games, movies, comics, board games, the lot. So if you're, if you're interested in that and want to hear some guys casually talking about it, that's where you can find us. Good stuff. You also on iTunes or any of your plat- other platforms? Yeah, we're on we're on iTunes. Um, we're on Podomatic. Uh, we don't Ooh. currently do YouTube. Um, because no. yeah, but uh, yeah, iTunes and Podomatic mainly, and or you can play directly through the site as well. So good stuff. Level clear. Check it out, folks. Uh, now our final track. Uh, what what a one to close the show with. This is from the mighty mighty bizarre Asura's <laughs> Wrath. Uh, so did this capture your imagination the crazy world of uh, Asura's Wrath I have a personal connection to this video game Um, uh, I'm a father Uh, I have a currently 13 year old daughter Uh, she's growing up very fast and (laughs) the very story of a man who is basically fighting for his daughter appeals to me and yeah this particular track um, which if I know there was the whole thing with the, the, the hidden chapter that you had to pay for, but yeah, the end of the game that wasn't included on the game. <laughs> but still, uh, what yeah. a finish. And mm. um, during the final moments, obviously this version of the song is playing. And if you're not an emotional wreck, then you have no soul. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm welling up thinking about it. Um, but, no, but no, it's, it's, uh, yeah, the, the the relationship between him and the fa- the fact that he will do anything for his his child just it sings to me because it's exactly how I feel. Um, I even got a tattoo of the um, f- uh, an Asura's Wrath tattoo in in oh wow because of it. I mean, this is lost on the uh, on the listeners, but I'm pointing this to the camera. You can see it just there. Very yeah. cool. <laughs> I always like we have uh, yeah we have a history of featuring uh, people with uh, tattoos of the games that they're talking about. We had our friend uh, Dan Benden who has a Bastion tattoo. He came on our Bastion podcast. We have our our very own Leah who has a Triforce who uh, did most of our Zelda podcasts. And now we have you talking about Asura's Wrath. Yeah. Uh, and you have an Asura's Wrath tattoo. Unfortunately, we can't have you on that podcast because we did it years ago. No. Uh, Fifty three. <laughs> um, uh, if they ever make a sequel, we'll know. <laughs> I, 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 I keep asking yeah. Capcom and cyber connect uh too but yeah. no one's no one's responding yet so no no <laughs> uh but yes if you've never played a series raft like i i have to say like i'm not a father um and i enjoyed the game to a point um but mainly that point was the the level of spectacle and insanity it didn't it didn't emotionally connect with me in obviously the same way that it did with you and and that's you know that's one of the things we we talk about on on our podcast which is that you know one man's uh one man's deep love that he needs to get etched upon his skin forever is another man's okay seven out of ten you know kind of thing yeah but i have to say that um yeah the even if even if you don't play Asura's Wrath, you should watch Asura's Wrath on Absolutely. YouTube. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I've got uh, two thirds of our podcast, me and Tim. Uh, we both played and loved it. Uh, Salty hated the gameplay, but really? he was happy right. to watch a YouTube like cut of it. And, you know, it, the, the action, you can't deny the scenes, the set, you know, it's incredible. 
it's indescribable, some of it. Like, yeah. you can't possibly get across in words just the insanity and epic nature of of some of the 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 fights mm. that go on in this game. It's what drew me in, in the first place. I mean, you, you, there was a, a video released, I believe, a number of years ago now, and it was just of him holding up a finger of of a giant god. And that's right. And I was yeah. I was I don't know what this is, but I'm very into it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you have to you have to bash a button to uh, to 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 lift this god's mighty digit. Yeah, it's crazy. There's a lot of button bashing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of QTEs uh, actually, and I have in unusual. This is unusual in in games in that I remember the QTEs more fondly than I remember the free combat, which which I which was is quite basic and perfunctory, as I recall. Yeah, you can kind of switch off to that. I think it, it, everything is in the set pieces that the game yeah. has to offer, um, even like the the moon fight as well um mm. where the moon just gets cut in half yeah um yeah everything else around it is 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 yeah arbitrary but well fantastic epic closing to the show thank you for joining me nick thanks for having me it's been really good you're welcome and uh, hopefully we'll hear from you again but we'll close the show with uh, fruweru kokoro this is the instrumental version uh, by chikayo fukuda and we'll see you next time on sound of play <laughs>